Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with your host, Beth Green. This is James Maynard, your co-host. Today's topic, What Do We Love and Why? The Battle for the Valentine's Day Guest Spot. An interview with either St. Valentine or the hilarious Madame Mazurka, whoever wins. St. Valentine and Madame Mazurka are battling to be the guest on this show. By legend, Valentine is a third century priest who defied the Romans and married couples, even though the empire wanted young men to stay unmarried so they'd be more likely to be better killing machines. St. Valentine says his voice should be heard to counteract all the romantic and commercial nonsense about the day. He also claims priority because the day was named after him. Madame Mazurka is a hilarious dead Transylvanian psychic who knows all about love and who thinks she has more to say than a churchman. She says her experience and willingness to tell the truth will blow the lid off Valentine's Day. Stay tuned to find out who nabs the guest spot. Whoever wins, this show will be a hilarious but searing conversation about love, relationships, fantasy, and reality. It will also answer your Valentine's Day gift prayer. Keep your money in your pocket and treat your Valentine to a great radio show. And now, here's Beth. Hi there. Well, I'm still waiting to find out who's going to be on the show. And you know what's actually frightening? I haven't heard from either St. Valentine or Madame Mazurka in the last few days. I don't know if we've lost our guest. Christine Benton is our alternative host, and she's going to be hosting today. So, uh, Christine, I don't know where your guests are today. I scared them away, I guess. I just take it personally. (laughs) Well, I don't know if you scared them away or they scared each other away. I heard a lot of... Nothing can scare Madame Mazurka away. So, if she's not here, it's because she's in some fabulous place. That's right. Maybe in Hawaii or something. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, you know, she does have a way of showing up at odd times and odd places. So maybe we're going to be talking about what they're battling over uh, before, uh, you know, somebody shows up. I'm going to assume someone is going to show up. What do you think? Yes, I bet. I okay. I bet there. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. So, uh, but first, as always, we have, we have James and the Inner Revolution. The news of the interruption. Yes. Yes. Yes, indeed. In a world of mounting religious tensions where 59% of French people blame Jews for anti-Semitism. Did you hear that, everybody? 59% of French people. Yeah, 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 including uh, them to blame for the Hitler and the Nazis. Now, I don't know if they said that. I don't know. I couldn't uh, read okay. the article completely, uh, completely but they think that, okay. that Jews are at least at part you know, responsible for this, right? Right. Yeah, I might be confusing them with some politician who has. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. There's a lot of those, too. There's definitely a rise in anti-Semitism. Yeah, there we go. Take, yes. And U.S. politicians have called for banning Muslims. We need some good news. So here's a little from goodnewsnetwork.com, and this is from Christine, our producer. Yay! <laughs> January 29th, 2016. Christians protect mosques on Friday. Muslims guard churches on Sunday. Faced with the threat of terrorist attacks in West Africa, Muslims and Christians have each other's back. On Fridays in Cameroon, Christians guard the mosques as Muslims pray. Muslims return the favor by protecting churches during Sunday services. The Nigerian militant group Boko Haram attacks both churches and mosques while services are in session. The prayerful people inside can't see it coming, but in some small villages, the terrorists are now running into armed patrols. Cameroon has set up volunteer 
vigilance committees to patrol villages and the capital of Yaoundé to watch for possible terrorists. They are armed for self-defense, but report any suspicious activity so the police handle it. The idea of Christians and Muslims protecting each other's worship service is not unique to the Cameroons, as can be seen in the following news item. From Reuters, February the 21st, this year. Norway Muslims, I'm sorry, not this year, this was 2015, a year prior. Norway Muslims form human shield around Jewish synagogue. In the face of Europe's Jews facing rising anti-Semitism following a violent attack in Copenhagen, on February 21st, 2015, more than a thousand Muslims formed a human shield around Oslo's synagogue, chanting no to anti-Semitism, no to Islamophobia. Norway's Muslims and others formed what they call a ring of peace during the event organized on Facebook. Humanity is one, and we are here to demonstrate that, Zishan Abdullah, one of the organizers, told the crowd of Muslim immigrants and ethnic Norwegians who filled the street around Oslo's only synagogue. Beth? Well, those stories are very touching. This one in Norway, even though it's a year old, is so up to the minute in its significance. You know, we have something called the Campaign to Unite All Movements. And you guys, all of our listeners, you can participate so easily. Just go to our Facebook page, Beth Green and the Inner Revolution. And the little URL is facebook.com forward slash the inner rev, all one word. Anyway, however you get there, you'll see that we have at the top of the page. Well, actually, it's not at the top. It's almost at the top now. Uh, something called Join the Campaign to Unite All Movements. And it's really confronting the whole egoic idea that we should protect only ourselves and not see our connections. So Muslims can, you know, are protecting Muslims. Christians are protecting Christians. Uh, you know, and it could be women you know, protecting women or blacks for blacks, that whole thing we're trying to blow up and say that we all need to start standing up for one another and that's the way we're going to bring, bring upon us a better world. Now, I am not saying that there aren't differences in the way people are treated. I mean, obviously, African Americans in this country have been consistently and institutionally um uh, been treated badly and uh, have uh, lack of resources and so on. I mean, we all we have to do is look at the Flint, Michigan crisis and wonder if that lead-infested water had been in some uh, Beverly Hills, you know, location if this thing would have gone on for over a year. But it's also true that we have to fight for and with each other if we're going to gain the clout to make change and also for us to actually fight all the racism that exists among all of us against one another, gay, straight, whatever. So you can participate in this. Just go to our Facebook page. You'll see it. You can click and you will be able to get to our website where you can join the Campaign to Unite All Movements just by signing your name. So do it. Okay. And speaking of race, the 2016 primaries have brought to the surface how we are dealing with racism or not. Black people are leading the charge in demonstrating the particular kinds of oppression they are experiencing, even beyond that of all working people. For example, here's a story from The Root, dated February the 9th. 
When states run welfare, black children are the ones who get hurt. Professor Pramila Nottison, who is a longtime scholar activist, is alerting us all to discriminatory practices that are damaging children of color. She writes, 20 years ago, Bill Clinton signed legislation dismantling the Federal Aid to Families with Dependent Children Welfare Program. The law transformed welfare into temporary assistance to needy families, essentially blocked grants to states to use for job training and child care subsidies to enable recipients to attain financial independence and take, quote, personal responsibility, unquote, as its advocates claimed. So how would we assess the program two decades later, especially in light of Republican presidential candidates' call for more devolution and state control? The most damning evidence about the inequalities resulting from state control is a recently released report by the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights based on its investigation of the Mississippi Child Care Development Block Grant. The commission found widespread evidence of racial discrimination in the distribution of child care subsidies that has disproportionately harmed low-income communities of color. According to the report, 47% of black children in Mississippi are living at or below the poverty line, compared with 15% of non-Hispanic white children. Yet, the state rates black child care providers more harshly than white child care providers, leading to reduced state funding to that community. Early child care and development resources are disproportionately funneled into white communities. Overall, Mississippi has reduced the number of children served by 53% over the past eight years. Only 15% of the state's eligible children are served, and the state has been reluctant to shift funds into the child care subsidy program, instead leaving that money unspent. Isn't that disgusting? The blatant disregard for black life so evident in welfare policy has resulted in a growing percentage of black parents who are unable to properly care for their children and record numbers of black children in foster care. Beth? I'm shocked. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, as bad as you think things are, they are worse. What, what can I say? And I would love to speak to that uh, woman, uh, Pramila Nottison, or I don't know how yeah, to pronounce that, that, her name. Yeah, that's right, Nottison, yes. And uh, you're telling me like you know how to pronounce her name. So anyway, uh, <laughs> neither of us knows how to pronounce her name. But, you know, she's a fascinating woman. I have also just discovered that she's written a book about uh, how household workers, you know, maids, right, have organized and how many of them were African-American women and what they've done to try to get minimum wage, decent wages, and so on. And uh, there's a lot to this story. So I would like to cover more of this in the upcoming weeks and months because I think we need to know about this. Don't yes. you? Yes, okay. yes, very much so. And now a follow-on from last week's Super Bowl fever show about the harmful effects of playing football. We are encouraged to see this news item from npr.org, February the 4th. Quitting the gridiron when football runs through the family. Two brothers in a football family in Albany, California, decided to quit football after experiencing concussions and impaired cognition while playing football in high school. This seems to be part of a trend. According to the latest statistics, there are almost 26,000 fewer high school football players today than there were in the 2008-2009 school year, according to figures from the National Federation of State High School Associations. 
It was in 2009 when the NFL formally acknowledged the connection between football and the long-term effects of concussions. And who knows what the statistics are now. On MSN, yesterday, a star high school player, football player in Pittsburgh, John Costello, turned down full scholarships from a dozen colleges after watching the film Concussion, saying that because of head injuries, quote, it's not worth it, your whole life is in jeopardy. And finally, here's a story sent to us by Helen. Oh, wait, our- just a second, yes. uh, James. Yeah. I'd yeah, like yeah. to say one thing about that. Um, yes. If you did not hear our radio show last week, I would just like to reiterate what James said. That would be under February, what would that be? Today is the 11th. February February 4th. February 4th, 2016. It included a lot of very interesting stories about football. Uh, It had um, an excerpt, 20-minute excerpt of an earlier radio interview that we did with Steve Almond, the uh, author of Against Football. Against Football, One Fan's Reluctant Manifesto. Yes. And it was a powerful, sickening program. We've gotten a lot (laughs) of interest on it. I mean, if you've been on our Facebook page, you'll see that uh, that that show has reached a lot of people. We've had a lot of shares, a lot of comments, a lot of likes on this story. It's beginning to happen. So that was a great radio show if you want to listen to it. Okay, sorry to interrupt, James. No problem. And finally, here's a story sent to us by Helen, one of our listeners. It's from Alternet.com, dated February the 5th. One of America's largest restaurant chains just committed to go cage-free. Yet another big victory in the campaign to stop the cruel confinement of egg-laying hens. On January 27th, Bob Evans, one of the country's largest family dining chains based in Ohio, with more than 500 500 restaurants in the Midwest, Mid-Atlantic, and Southeast, announced that it will go 100% cage-free for the more than 100 million eggs it uses annually. Many of America's biggest food corporations are now going 100% cage-free, mainly in the wake of a McDonald's announcement in September. Caged hens suffer from weakened immune systems and lack of normal movement, and humans have twice as high an incidence of salmonella from them than from cage-free hens. Syed Moseni, Bob Evans' CEO, allowed me to share his thoughts, this is a quote, on today's announcement. We're proud to work with the Humane Society of the United States, HSUS, on our animal welfare efforts, including switching to exclusively cage-free eggs. The organization's been a tremendous partner who understands how animal welfare and good business go hand in hand. California and Michigan ban caged egg-laying hens. Hopefully other states will follow suit. Beth? Yes, like I didn't know that. Now, I think as Christine pointed out, that doesn't mean that those uh, hens are outside having a good time, but at least they're not in cages. It's an incremental step, but an important one, I would think. Don't you, Christine? Yes, I would agree. And what I love about the story is the oneness in it. It's like, okay, it's good for the hens. Gee, it's good for our health too. Duh, Mm -hmm. duh, duh. Gee, what a concept. (laughs) <laughs> is that if we support each other, we're going to create a better world and we're all going to be better off. I mean, I don't know what is taking us so long to figure <laughs> this 
Ouch! You know, do do you think that dumping lead in the water of an entire uh, community is going to lead to brilliant children who are going to discover a cure for cancer? I don't think so. Instead, it's going to be another drain in our resources, just like all this global warming that we have created, that we didn't want to spend the money on moving to clean energy or re-educating people in the coal industries or the people who are in the oils industry. Instead of retooling, changing, re-educating, putting our resources into that, we're constantly having to clean up uh, after the horrible climate events that are taking place. But, I mean, that's common sense. We can't have that. Nope. So, Christine... Yeah. I think there's a good reason that neither Madame Mazurka nor uh, St. Valentine seems to be hanging around me. And what is that? Well, it's because I'm so upset about the world. <laughs> oh, are <laughs> you, you know, like a Debbie Downer for them? I think I am. I mean, uh, you know, they want to come on and talk about love or somebody wants to come on and talk about love. And I'm sitting here talking about, you know, poisoning children. Yeah, so, you had some good things to say about the Muslims and Christians guarding yes. each other's places of worship. So, yeah, I mean, I'm come so- on, Madam M and St. Valentine, especially if you don't like it, then you need to sh- come up and say something. Well, that sounds true. Hmm, I have a feeling that Madam M may be in the wings. Let's, <laughs> let's first find, I don't have her scarf with me, so... I just don't know. But while we're while we're doing that, maybe James could give out the number if if you're cool with this being a call-in show. Sure, absolutely. Okay, okay, go for it, James. Okay, uh, if you'd like to call in with a question or a comment, please call us at one eight six six four seven two five seven eight eight. That's one eight six six four seventy two fifty seven eighty eight. Well, thank you so much. That was a great idea, Christine. So I think the first thing is to find out where is St. Valentine? Mm-hmm. Because I, I haven't heard anything from him for quite a while. Did you set out some pasta? I did. And all I could <laughs> hear was manja, manja. <laughs> manja, manja. I never heard one word about love. I just heard <laughs> manja, manja. All right, St. Valentine, where are you? I'm far away. <laughs> <laughs> Can you get any closer? No. Oh. I'm in prison. They've put oh. me in prison. The Roman Emperor, they put oh. me in the prison. And then they execute me, and I can't get out. Well, once you die, you're not in prison anymore. Am I dead? Yes, Nobody you told me that I was Uh-oh. dead. Oh, sorry. Yes, you are, but it means you have certain freedoms. Oh, you mean I have to go back? <laughs> go back where? Down there. Well, just for the radio show, just for this show, we just want to talk to you. I don't know if I want to be here. Oh, you're closer. Well, why wouldn't you? We have a great time. I'm going to say something that will make me heretic. 
Okay. You know, he sounds exactly like Madame Mazurka. Did yeah. you notice that? But he's, yeah. well, he's, he said something to me late, earlier. He mm-hmm. said, we have no idea what his accent is because he's Roman. And what yeah. is a Latin accent? So he's going to sound like, I don't know, an Italian woman. Uh, he's going to sound like, uh, you know, an Eastern European Jew. He, he's going to sound like an American. He's going to sound like anything because we really don't know. So we have no filter, you know, through which to hear his voice. So why don't you just sound like an American for now, and then we'll know. Okay, laddies. (laughs) No, no, no. I think you got that accent wrong. That that didn't sound like an American, did it? (laughs) No. Okay. All right, try it again. Okay, laddies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll take whatever it is. Okay. <laughs> whatever you got. Okay. Tell us why you wouldn't, what was the question? Why you wouldn't want to be here? I wouldn't want to be here because the Catholic Church isn't what I died for. Oh, oh my God. Oh my God. Although I like this uh, St. Francisco. You like San Francisco or St. Francis? No, St. Uh, Francisco, the oh, new okay. Pope. Oh, Pope Francis. I do too. That's right. That's great. So, well, what did you die for then? That's what I want to know. Oh. I died for the love of, uh, of the people, of uh, Jesus, of a God. That's what I died for. Oh, what I understand, and tell me if this is true, is that you were marrying people against the orders of the empire because they wanted young men to stay single so that they would be better warriors and not attached. Okay. And the NFL could learn something from that. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. You should not have so many. Bad what that know. they need to keep? Uh, they need to keep the players from marrying people. That's right. That's right. Because the women they worry. Yeah. The men they, they worry too, but they pretend that they don't because they are trying to look very machismo. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yes, I died for the uh, because really it was uh, the people. They looked at me and they had that sadness in their faces and they wanted to have sex. So they wanted to get married. But only the Catholic ones, because the ones that were into Catholic, they didn't worry about getting married. They had sex anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And so that's why they executed you because you married these people? That, well, it, that's not the real reason, of course. They, they, married, they executed anybody who stood up to the oppressive nature of the government. Uh, uh-huh. it, it just like it's always. It doesn't matter if you're in Egypt or you're in uh, any place. Uh, they will kill you if you're standing up for uh, the stupidity of the government. Yeah, and so what do you make of it? Like what Valentine's Day has turned into today, which is like... Little pink and red hearts and, um, you know, husbands getting in big trouble if they don't have really good plans lined up and the right dinner reservations and flowers and chocolate, etc. 
I think that this is antithetical of the Christianity like I knew it because I was there, you see, much longer ago. And it was not so commercial. And that uh, the people, they were very serious because it was harder to be a Christian then. Now it's easy to be Christian and then to go be pompous and to talk nonsense. But then it wasn't so easy. You know, here they're very upset. Like, uh, I have to tell you something. These people in Oregon, that they finally, they gave up on their quest to overthrow the government in that um, uh, that uh, Oregon uh, malheur, I think they call it. So they uh, they wanted to come out, but they didn't want to be arrested. It's like, this is what you call a revolutionary? They didn't even want to go to jail, but they were claiming they were fighting for dignity and the revolution. You see, in our day, it wasn't so easy to be a Christian. Do you understand mm-hmm. what I'm talking? Yes. Well, yeah, you would lose your life, not That's just right. go to jail. Yeah. That's right. So the Roman Empire, they were, yes, the, for Christians, no, against Christians. It was very confusing, you see. But uh, it was to be a Christian was to be a revolutionary and to want to overturn the ugliness of the Roman Empire and the inhumanity that they were showing for the people. And this is what Jesus was talking about, that, that he wanted the love of the people, that people should love each other and that... Um, that they uh, should also love God. And of course, the God he was a symbol of the oneness of humanity. So this is what this I want my Valentine's Day to be about, was mm. about the love of the humanity and the love of the oneness and not the stupid business of uh, how many gifts and chocolate I ate and how many headaches I get from drinking wine and eating chocolate. <sighs> you didn't yeah. expect this from me, did you? you I thought didn't I didn't know was that was coming. And was motivated you to marry people? Because that seems like a very romantic love. And I could see why people would interpret a day in your honor being about romance because you were you were marrying people. Yes, but marriage was not about romance at the time. It was about obligation. It was about the obligation to take care of your children. It was about the obligation to care for one another. You see, it wasn't so much romance. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't something good about the romance, too. Because not everything has to be all about the bread and the butter. And uh, not everything needs to be about uh, uh, obligation. That's, uh, we had, it was a little bit over the board. Mm-hmm. But... Um, it was, uh, really. Uh, so there is something good, but you see, the love uh, doesn't have to do with the romance. Maybe Madame Mazurka is going to say something different when she comes on the show. Yeah. Um, well, let's see if, if she, she'll join us for this conversation. Madame M, have you decided to join us yet? Well, actually, darling, I- I'm finding that uh, St. Francis is not such a creep. Oh, I don't you mean St. Valentine? I or mean St. Uh, whatever the, fr- the, the saint. They're all <laughs> the same, aren't they? Yeah. 
to you, I'm sure. Yes, yes. He's 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 not a creep. Um, he's saying something with the meaning. I think. I think it's very oh, meaningful. Oh, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. I thought you would tell everybody to go have sex on Valentine's Day. Well, that too. But uh, it's. Um, Oh, he's confusing me with his accent. I uh, bet is not uh, hearing me correctly. Okay, let me try. All right. <clears throat> so, darling, mm. I feel uh, that um, this uh, fellow, this mm. Valentine fellow, he has very good points. But uh, he is missing that the romance is a very important part uh, I'm sounding too much like St. Valentine. But anyway, <laughs> I'm going to try to... It's really Beth. She is the one who's confused. I'm speaking the same way. St. Valentine is speaking the same way. But she, her eardrums are, are, are mixed up from each other. I, yeah, I, we get it. We, I think she's doing a great job. Oh, thank you. So anyway, so... Yes, we need some romance, too. You see, your aesthetics, you become, you're so puffed up. You know, you get to be priests. You think you're holier than everybody. And uh, that's why there are so many pedophiles in the Catholic Church. Ooh. 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 What? Because the priests are so puffed up? Yeah, because I, I missed I missed the link between well, that and the pedophiles. Well, because the priests are supposed to be saints, and they're not. They're men. Yep. And they don't know what to do with their dicks. And <laughs> so uh, the poor guys, they're, they're wandering around trying to be holier than thou and drinking, uh, you know, wine and uh, looking at the nunnery for their next uh, uh, adventure or towards each other or the little boys. And we thought, I feel sorry for these guys. It's because the Catholic Church is not, is, has many very good, very good uh, ideas, at least that, uh, from the Jesus perspective. But, but not all the other, uh, I don't think all the rest of it is so good, so wonderful. But from that perspective, you know, the love of each other and the neighbors and all those things. This is very good. And uh, to be responsible and you're having the children, this is good too. I wouldn't, Madame Mazurka doesn't think you should be popping out babies and throwing them at the, you know, at other people and say, you fix me and them. But we need romance because if we didn't have that romance, then we wouldn't even get married because really anyone who gets married is crazy. And what is romance? Romance is that moment where you see the person not like they are, but like you want them to be. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what we fall in love with. And then you need 20 years psychotherapy. (laughs) Because you have to adjust to the reality of who the other person is. And then they get to know you, and it's a mess. Mm-hmm. You see, and this is the problem. So, but this is the good. But why do I say romance is good? Because somebody needs an incentive to get over the fear of intimacy that everybody mm-hmm. has. Mm-hmm. See, without that, uh, you're not going to get over. No, everyone would just be single. That's right. That's right. The men uh, like to pretend that they like to be single because they want to have the belt buckles with the notches. 
mm-hmm. and they they think that that makes them really studly, but they're actually terrified of their wives because they knew their mothers told them what to do when they were children. They don't want to hear it from the wife. But mm-hmm. they're, they're so, so many men are stupid. They need their wives. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to kill themselves. The, mm-hmm. the, the motorcycle accidents or the... Uh, you know, the bar fights, they drink too much, or they're going to get uh, some venereal disease, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, they're lonely and they're miserable in the ways uh, that are, the macho culture tells them. And then they go to work and then they try to prove themselves and they'll have heart attacks. Mm-hmm. So they need the women, if the women are loving kind and sometimes they're very ambitious and they don't care if the men have a heart attack because they're hoping for a big life uh, insurance payoff Mm. so when the women you see they come in and they say to the men don't go knock your brains out or take care of yourself that gives the men an excuse to do what they already know they need to do but they're too macho to admit that they need to do it See, then they can what, just blame it on the women and then that works exactly oh my yeah. wife my wife wouldn't let me do this oh my wife wouldn't let me commit suicide today oh what a wise woman and you poor thing that you have to listen to your wife <laughs> um <laughs> Um, Madam M, we have a caller, actually. We have Helen in California who's called in. Okay, darling. I always love to talk to Helen. Yeah, me too. Well, Madam Mazurka, or St. Valentine, or Beth, I am open to any (laughs) wisdom and all wisdom. I feel like I have been a dismal failure, and I'd love to have some uh, advice about love. Oh, dismal failure in love. Okay. Oh, yeah. well, darling, the first thing that you need to know is that that's normal. You have a very crazy idea because this is the romantic, this is the downside of the romance, right? I said the upside is it gets you to get over your fear of intimacy. But then you're stuck with the result of that. And then you think there's something wrong with you because you don't love your husband every day or because your marriage didn't happily turn over with happily ever after, right? And so you think that you've done something wrong. So this is a romantic conception that says, you see, you have to understand something, Helen. When we were coming up with these nonsensical ideas, people didn't live beyond 30, 40, sometimes even less. They didn't have to sustain a relationship so long. Now you are expected to go on and on with the same feelings and the same passion you see the other thing is all the men would go off to war so you could get very excited about them in their absence and you spend all your time with your women friends (laughs) so what i'm what i'm trying to tell you is lighten up (sighs) it's like this idea that you're a failure is complete nonsense you just haven't got the historical perspective of madame mazurka you see well that's true i don't (laughs) Uh, that's right you should, though, because you should see more. And then the people, you know, you talk about pompous. There's people who really do get along, and they spend all their lives together, and the more uh, power, more to them. But the rest of the people, who uh, they get divorced, and they have problems, you see, and they're supposed to oh, stay together. You act like there's something wrong with them. 
So that's the first thing we see. The, poor, the problem that you have, Helen, is that you're growing up. And yeah. you're supposed to grow up. And the, uh, the romantic idea is that you're supposed to stay together rather than you're supposed to grow up. And when you grow up, you may stay together, you may not stay together. I could talk to you on a deeper level too, which is, of course, that you never loved yourself and you're learning to do that, so you can't have a very good relationship. But, I mean, this is, everybody knows this, right? But we all have to be reminded. So part of growing up, see, is is having that experience of really coming to accept yourself. Like I was just saying that you got to figure out. So you have a romanticized idea of some man because you want him to be a certain way because you want all your days of loneliness to be over. And then you marry him or you don't marry him, and you're with him, and you see what an asshole he really is, or you are, or all of that, and then you have to figure out if this is really the person for you, right? And then you think there's something wrong if it isn't the person for you, because you think you were supposed to have been so smart to start with. But in the meantime, you try to figure yourself out, and this is all grist for the windmill. (laughs) Thank you, Madam Mazurka. Did that help you? Yes, you're brilliant as always. (laughs) Thank you, darling. I want the rest of the show for myself. St. Francis, uh, no, St. Valentine, he said enough. Okay, okay. We had a feeling. Yes. It was good that he could come on and clarify what really went down, though, the purpose of what he was trying to do, so... I like that, really. As I said, he was, a, he was much better than a lot of those uptight people you see today. <laughs> and so what are some of the other things that you see people doing, Madam Mazurka? Like you were saying, we, we have this idea, this romanticized notion of, of how things should be. Um, well, what are some- I, I have something more I want to say about this. Okay, great. So you see... See, there is within the human heart a tremendous need for safety, right? Mm -hmm. You guys are always talking about ego. So safety, ego, it's all connected, right? Yeah. So you want safety. So, you know, you're uh, a teenager bopper and uh, you want to have a date to the dance. Because if you go to the dance without a date, somebody might think you're unattractive, which you probably are. But (laughs) anyways, so let's say you are, or you aren't, so you want to have a date. And then you want to have somebody on the Friday night or on the Saturday night, and you want someone to pick you up on the street, on the road, if your car breaks down. All of this is about safety, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now let's say you're driven by the, and especially the women, because the women are the ones who are going to have the babies. Mm-hmm. Then usually, not always, of course, in these days of marvelous days of the men are changing, I think they're becoming much more delicious, actually. Mm. So you think that those macho men of my era were delicious, but they weren't, they were jerks. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's my opinion. 
so you're going to have a baby and you're going to wonder who's going to get up with you in the middle of the night and who is going to buy the food and all of that. So we have this need for safety. So what do we have? We create institutions. Now, you've got an institution. It's called the family. Now, I'm talking about the extended family. You know, it used to be it was you, your cousin, your 12th cousin, your aunts, your uncles, and all the fish, the goldfish that went along. <laughs> and this was your whole society. I mean, you could have uh, neighborhoods or villages where most everybody was related, right? Yeah. So in the old days, there was a lot of uh, incest, to be honest. Well, I would call it incest, even if it was cousins. There was a lot of relatives. So there was a few big families. And then, of course, there were people who would invade and they would bring in some new blood, which was a good thing from the invasions, right? But anyways, what I'm saying is you had the extended family and you had little villages and so on. And, you know, the people sort of got together and maybe you would get a few crumbs from somebody, you know, or somebody would take care. So what I'm saying is there was some kind of safety. Now, when in your capitalist system of the America, there you don't have this anymore. So you have to have welfare. We can see how I was listening to James and what, how wonderful this welfare was. But anyway, so you have welfare, but you have families and you try so what are you going to do so you have and nobody wants to be with their relatives anyway because they're also annoying and they're always telling you what to do so um what you have now is you have the husband or the wife see we have to have somebody so it's not only the emotional insecurity of I'm going to not have a date on Friday night, but it's also the economic insecurity. Mm -hmm. So we have this very, very, very big need to have this romantic love where you're going to find the one who's going to stay with you forever so that you know where your retirement fund is going to come from or who's going to take care of you when you've had a stroke. So it's the lack of social welfare makes us need to have these relationships as well as the emotional needs which I'm not denying but you see what you do you put together the two and you have desperate need so mm -hmm. desperate need we don't think that way because humans like to romanticize everything and so they think they have to be in love and that's what it's all about now other cultures they didn't even think about love they were thinking about security and compatibility but it, the American in that capitalist world you see it's all very different it's not based on mutual obligations you have to think you love each other to stay together interesting um, we have another caller uh, with a question for you Madam M it's Chris from San Diego hi Madam Azurka hello Chris hello I think that was uncannily the exact uh, segue for me to ask a question because uh, don't think I'm pathetic because I know I am, but I feel so angry that I support my husband and I drum up this like drama around it in my head instead of going, do I like this person? Do I like spending time with this person? You know, I see him growing as a person. I see myself growing as a person. Are we, are we compatible? Are we enjoying each other? So I'd love to get some insight from you and hear what your thoughts are about that. Dilemma. Okay, well, I have two thoughts immediately. Of course, the first is you have, you're, you're a conformist in your mind. 
and you have uh, swallowed the bill of goods that you're that the, this is what man is this is what woman is and really the, I'm going to tell you darling because I I lived in eras that was very machismo that the the it was terrible because the men they ordered you around they told you what to do you wouldn't take it for a minute you'd be so miserable <laughs> but in your head you have idea that the real man is the one who gives you the money and so then you get to suck his you-know-what in exchange. And uh, you are very, very conflicted between uh, that socialization and what you really want. It's because what you really want is the freedom of having your income and having a say and being a powerhouse in your own self. So this is the, the uh, essential uh, a psychological problem that you're bringing into this is that you have a stamp in your head that tells you that you should want the thing you don't want and that you don't allow yourself to want the thing that you won't wa- that you do want which is what you've got <laughs> so that's about the, the first first thing I want to, uh, to tell you and then um, the other thing I want to say is that the one thing you didn't say is the question you said, do I like to spend time with him? And do I? You see, you're making a lot of you trying to fool yourself because you need this man. And you never said, I need him. Do I need this man? Mm-hmm. And uh, did you know? <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> and Not she needs him how? right now. <laughs> She needs him in every way. She needs the cuddle and the love and the warmth. Mm. She needs his help. He helps her all the time in so mm-hmm. many ways. Mm-hmm. So what I'm telling you, the Chris, is that you've got two mix-ups. One is the telling yourself you want what you don't want and you won't want what you want. And the other thing is you're lying to yourself that you're not the needy person that you are, you see, which sounds like contradiction, but it really isn't because everybody who's strong is needy too. So you have to allow all of that. So you both deny that you need this man and uh, you deny that you like uh, being a power in yourself. Thank you, Madam Mazurka. That's a lot of food for thought. Good. I hope that you're not going to throw up after the show. (laughs) That was good. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. Like, who wants to acknowledge how much we need our partners when we really really do? Mm -hmm. Really. Maybe that's a good Valentine's gift to each other would be to acknowledge that. That would be very good. So you started out this program. They said I was going to talk about what do you love and why. Mm-hmm. And we haven't talked about that question. Oh, let's do that. Yes. Well, did you have something to say about it? Or are you, asking- you ask me the question and I can answer. I can't answer the question. Oh, you don't okay. ask me. Um, well, what do, you, what do you love? Oh, me? I was, the show was about what you guys love. But, well, what, wh- but if you want to know what I love, I can tell you. I do want to know that. I just, I don't know how to ask you the other question. Am I asking you, what do we love and why? Yes. You okay, what that. do we love and why? Yeah, you actually, down bottom, even though I say you don't know how to, you love, you don't know how, but you love yourselves. You love yourselves and everything that reflects well on you. That's what you love. 
So you get a husband and then you discover that he belches that night and he's no longer a good reflection. Or you discover that uh, he is not so smart at business as you want to tell yourself and that's not good reflection. And you find out this and or, or the other way around, you're the men, you're men and you find out what the woman looks like in the morning. Hmm. Or you find out... Uh, uh, that uh, she is not as agreeable and makes you look big like she was when you first met her and she blinked her eyeball so many times and told you how <laughs> wonderful you were. But it's because she knows you already. She can't do that. Uh-huh. So you see what happens is they say that familiarity the breeds the contempt, right? So yeah. what it really is is that the familiarity in destroys the illusion that your partner is going to make you look good. And so when you say we love ourselves, you're not saying it's self-love. You're not talking about it's our, no, I'm it's talking our about, egos. And that's our, right. It's the vanity. Yeah. It's the vanity. Yeah. So yeah. then, you know, so you have a man. Uh, so he thinks his wife is just wonderful. But then on the other hand, she makes him look bad. So he doesn't love her because mm-hmm. he doesn't like to look stupid or mm. small you see and yeah. that's the end of that or or the woman like uh, we were just talking who has the man who doesn't make the big uh, bucks mm-hmm. so uh, that uh, is in that case you're no longer loving the man because it's not good reflection so we love ourselves in very ego vain stupid ways and we don't love ourselves in deep ways because if we did then the Chris wouldn't have trouble with her husband you mm-hmm. see, because well, this is yeah, this is perfect because we have a the innerrevolution.org has a couples workshop coming up on February 21st. It's all about power struggles. So, oh, really yeah, good. I'm hoping that we will all be supported to you know get beyond that and acknowledge why we love our love each other. That's right. You know, then again, when you were uh, the guy was in the fields or the woman was in the factory and. They hardly ever saw each other, and the man was at war all the time, and things like that, because, you know, the courtly love and all that stuff, or then everything was, you either didn't have time to get to know your partner, or you were too tired to care if you were in the working, the cl- uh, working class, or... Uh, you know, if you're in the court, uh, everybody was in the intrigue and people were all, they were getting involved and they loved them, what made them look good in the vanity department and, oh, were you an earl or were you a baron or what were you? You see, in all these different ways that people had something other than each other, you see, to uh, really connect to. And remember, I was talking earlier about the need for safety, you see, and the number one thing that we discover. Mm. Is you see that the partner, whatever, the partner of gay, straight, it doesn't matter, by the way, I'm not talking gay, straight, is the partner doesn't make you safe, never solves the problems, and you hate them. But so then you get to know them. If you're in this world and you have some time, you get to know the partner, and then you have to figure out whether you need them. And then you have to be willing to admit it. That is very powerful and a, and a great Valentine's gift. Thank you. Madam M, I want to give Beth a few moments to talk about our next radio show that we have coming up um, and James as well. But thank you so much for joining us. 
Well, you're very welcome, and you know I love the show, and I talk about love. I want to send a big Valentine's to the whole inner revolutionary radio and the audience too, and uh, to and all your guests and all of that. And I wish you a very happy uh, uh, Mazurka Day. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, great. Okay, and Beth, are you back? I am. I've been listening to every word. This is really good stuff. I'm going to share this with a lot of folks. I think so many of us have so many illusions about love and relationship and marriage and whether or not we're good at it. Um, so, Yes, um, I think that as usual, Madame Mazurka made us feel less bad about being bad. It's true. It's so true. She yeah. just put it in context and we don't have to beat ourselves up so much. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So do you want to talk a little bit about what we have cooking? I or? do. Okay. I do. Now, this is usually James' chance to read the, uh, you know, to share with you our e-card about our next week's show. But see, what we were going to do next week has disappeared at yep. the last minute. And it's not disappeared. It's just been postponed. postponed. We're hoping. Yeah. And what we had was a Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha, who is the pediatrician who blew the lid off the Flint, Michigan lead poisoning issue. She, uh, she went after those officials and she didn't let them lie. And she brought to everybody's awareness how these poor, primarily African-American children in Flint were being their, their whole lives are being destroyed by the lead and, and how they were being ignored. So we were going to have her on the show, but something came up for her. And it's not surprising. She's hugely in demand. And I know, Christine, that you're trying to, um, you know, you and her people are trying to get together to find another date. Yep. Uh, so that was going to be our show. But what we really what I really want to talk about next time is the potluck revolution. So does anyone want to ask me about the potluck revolution? What is the potluck revolution? I'm so glad that you asked. (laughs) Well, the potluck revolution is the next step. It's like post-Bernie Sanders or Bernie Plus or whatever. You know, I agree completely that we need a political revolution, that our money has, you know, maybe isn't the root of all evil, because there's jealousy too, and many other ugly things. It's the ego is the root of all evil, but it is true that the uh, political system has been hijacked by those who have the power. But we need to change not only the political system but the economic system, and that's not just about uh, taxing the rich more. It's about enriching everybody through creating and co-creating completely different society where everybody has their needs met, and people think that's pie in the sky. But actually, what we have right now, which is the capitalist system in its, uh, hopefully, in its death throes, although not everybody would agree with that, but this system is not working for people. You know, the poor are getting poorer and the rich is getting richer. And we've had so many shows about that or articles about it. 62 of the wealthiest billionaires on the planet own more than 50% of the human race. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just, you know, beyond belief. And that income inequality is expanding. So it's a great idea that th- those people need to be paying their own, their fair shore, share. But what are we going to do about the way that our society is organized, which is around the ego, by the way. It's like me, 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 me. And we're going to talk about that. But in the potluck revolution 
starts with the idea that we do have this selfish thing in us that everything is about us and we should get ahead and I want to be the one who gets in the best school and all of that. But at the same time, we also have another part of us and it's reflected by the potluck. And we already know how to do this. Everybody goes to the potluck and brings what they can afford to bring and everybody eats. It's really that simple. The idea is, you know, fundamentally from each according to her need and no, from each according to her ability to each according to his need. See, and we know how to do it. We've done it with barn raising. We as Americans, it's a very, very American thing that we've got. And we have a tradition. We've had many communities that started us in America. And we seem to have forgotten that we know how to do this. Mm -hmm. And we've bought into the idea that we have to do it a certain way, which is the corporations have too much power and the workers don't have any. And so... The potluck revolution is about turning all of that upside down, and we're going to talk about that next week. And I don't know if we're going to have a guest or not, uh, because this is all at the last minute. We may have a surprise guest. We may not. But we're going to have a great conversation about what we want to develop in our world. And we can do this. I'm telling you, we can do this. And you can ask Madame Mazurka, definitely, darling. (laughs) Why not? This is the true love is the love of ourselves to make a, a very healthy world. We need a healthy world in order to be healthy people. So, oh my God, I have so much to say about that. I can't wait for next week. Fantastic. Well, we're out of time for today, but let's uh, continue that conversation. In- and you'll be with us. I will. I will. Yes. Great. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Okay. Until next time. Okay. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.